Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Escuchen a Adam y Rob en su podcast favorito, Conspiranoia. You over here drinking Blue Moon, dude. You got to get on this craft level right now. Luke, you're such a beer snob, man. <laughs> I'm not the beer snob. My girlfriend is. She's... She's an expert on beers, dude. She's always correcting me and making me look like an ass in front of people. <laughs> didn't you? Uh, didn't you buy like? Uh, didn't you get like a Game of Thrones beer or something one time that was I, like in Minneapolis, six dollars or something like that oh, for, for a bottle? No, I, I went to go look for that and I ended up buying the Sriracha beer instead, which didn't turn out well through, through my GI tract. I mean, I don't, I don't like I don't like Sriracha much. I would, much like I don't think I would like Sriracha beer. Yeah, I, I didn't. I love Sriracha, but I didn't like it either. <laughs> it was it was a bad idea. Well, what about you, Rob? Are you are you a bit of a beer snob? I am. I mean, I did go with the Dos Peros over your Blue Moon. Well, hey, Dos Peros is probably Dos, appropriate Dos anyway for yeah. the night. That's true. So it's been a while since we guys we've been in here. Um, in this studio, at least it's three weeks. Uh, we've put out while we you were gone, Rob. You were at Bonnaroo and at Firefly. Yep, not uh, not enjoying it, but working it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, 
I put out the two Paradigm Symposiums, the last two. Uh, the third one dropped last week. And then I sat down with uh, Stephen Ogden and John Ward a couple weeks ago, and we talked about the Brexit. Uh, which, as we have found out, that uh, Britain has decided to leave the European Union Woo. in the last couple of days. So the sky is falling, and uh, there's there's bedlam. It's like Mad Max out there, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's the if you if you if you watch the news or, or read the news, you know that's that's the uh, impression that we get from it. Well, that's the impression I get from the people that I've heard talking about it too. No one seems to know really what it means or what it's right. impact. Just that it's horrible and terrifying. Right. The beginning of the end. In, in reality, yeah. they're just sitting there sipping tea quietly in their houses. <laughs> yeah, the beginning of the end. Good point there, Rob. Uh, I want to talk about that later after we have the guest, but because, uh, you know, it is important, and but it may be not as important as everybody was making it out to be. Uh, I do want to talk about what happened in Orlando. I touched on this briefly when I had Stephen and John on. And I kind of wanted to dissect this a little bit. And as everybody knows, 49 people were killed. It was something like 50 wounded at this Pulse nightclub in Orlando by this guy named Omar Mateen, who claimed that he was doing it for ISIS. At least that's what they say when there was this 911 call that was made, apparently, that... uh there's only been transcripts of that no one's actually heard. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I'll be honest, when I heard that about the 911 call, that automatically made me a little suspicious. Just from knowing about what has happened with, like, for the Boston bombing, for instance, when there supposedly is this video that no one has yet seen after three three plus years of the Sarnayev brothers putting a pot, putting their bomb in the in a waste bin in a trash can of which the governor of Massachusetts had never seen but had been, had been told about and no one else has been seen so in light of that i am rather suspicious of this so-called 911 call where he says he's doing it for isis but that was not the only shooting in Orlando. The shooting in Orlando that took place the previous night on, was it June 10th? I want to explore that a little bit. So play that clip for us, Rob. Breaking news in a singer's murder. Orlando police now just identifying the gunman who killed Christina Grimmy, and we have learned he is from St. Petersburg. Good evening, everyone. I'm John Sable. And I'm Katie McCall in tonight for Serena. That shooter gunned down the former Voice contestant during a meet-and-greet session after her concert in Orlando last night. ABC Action News reporter Kara Mashik joins us live now with more information coming to light. You know, we're still gathering details out here, but the, we did try to talk to the family here at the Loible home. And I want you to take a look here on the door. They did apparently post this sign after being contacted by people today saying that they expressed their condolences to the family and friends and fans of Christina Grimmie. But they're simply not willing to speak about it, understandably so, after everything that has happened in the last day. Now, police have revealed that they believe that Kevin Loible, this 27-year-old man, specifically drove to Orlando with the intent of killing that singer. Now, police say that he did not appear to know her personally, but apparently shot her to death during that meet and greet session following her concert with several other fans watching. The suspect in this case is not from Orlando. 
the suspect traveled to Orlando, apparently to commit this crime, and then had plans to travel back, travel back to where he came from. Now, Loibel ended up taking his own life as a result of what happened as well. More than 100 people were at that plaza live venue when this occurred. That plaza saying today it's suspending further act all activities until further notice. And we did do a quick search on Kevin Loibel. It does not appear he had any criminal history. Neighbors here telling us they didn't really know this family terribly well, but they kind of kept to themselves and never caused any problems here. Reporting live in St. Petersburg, Karamashik, ABC Action News. This guy, Kevin James Loibel. Shot and killed the singer Christina Grimmy. I had no idea who this girl was. Frankly, <laughs> I really didn't care. I don't watch The Voice. Um, I don't watch people singing on YouTube, so I had no idea. You don't Until, care that someone died? It, well, no, I, it, that's not it. So here's what happened. He shoots her. And is tackled by her brother. And then proceeds to put the gun to his head and shoot himself. What also happened, and what I don't think is in that little blurb, that little uh, excerpt that we just heard, that clip. Was that he had not one, but two guns. He had extra clips. Magazines. And he had a knife. Somehow he was able to get this. And I thought of this automatically when I first heard the news, somehow he was able to get this by the security at this Plaza live venue. Now, Rob, you're pretty, you know, you know things about the music world and, and, and live concerts and things like that. How tight is security at some of these places? Unless it's Robert Plant on stage, it's usually not that tight. Or someone of that caliber. I mean, it's it's not that hard to walk up to somebody. Because, you, you know, you're talking about a security staff that would probably make slightly over minimum wage that's just standing yeah. around all day looking at people's wristbands or passes or what have you. And if you walk up to him and, and you say, oh, I, I got to go. I got this thing for this guy. like, And you look like you know what you're doing. They're just going to panic and move on to the next person and not. Right. It's not, it's not as hard as you'd think. And, and, and yeah, and that's a good point. It, it's still interesting that he gets through with all this weaponry. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's pretty crazy that somebody can get through that. Um. Now. One of the things that I thought was interesting in that clip was the police said, the policeman that's interviewed says he had intention of going back to where he came from. He was from another part of Florida and traveled to Orlando to go to this concert that she was playing at with a band called Before You Exit. Interesting, appropriate title for the situation, right? And somehow they were thinking, I don't know, they just mentioned this in passing. And I don't, even, I don't even know how they even figured this out, that he was thinking that he was going to come back. Somehow they thought that this guy, or the guy thought, Kevin James Loible, that he thought that he was going to go shoot this girl and I guess run away. 
and somehow leave Orlando and get back home. Now, if he's crazy or he's this obsessed fan, I guess I could see that. So that's a very odd. That's very odd. So the the murder-suicide wasn't part of the plan. That's just how it played out. That's what they're saying. This is what I'm thinking. It seems to me that if he had two guns and extra magazines and a knife, he was intending to do a lot more damage than just killing her and himself. Yeah. Had it not been for her brother tackling him and him deciding to end it right then and there by shooting himself in the head, he would have killed more people. So you would have had another massacre. Maybe not as many people because the firepower wasn't as great as what happened at the Pulse nightclub. But it seems that the intention was there to commit some kind of massacre. And then lo and behold, four miles away in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub the next night, literally the next night because it was started at two in the morning, which would technically be Sunday. But literally the next night, Omar Martin walks into the Pulse nightclub and begins to open fire. I don't believe in coincidences anymore. It's very hard to believe that that is just a coincidence. And it seems like if there was going to be a massacre on Friday night, at the pla- at the Plaza Live, and then at the at the Pulse, it would have almost been like a one-two punch on that city, for whatever reason that was. I don't know. It's always Florida. what do you it's what do you, what Florida. do you think, Luke? It's always Florida anyway. They're the ones. I mean, you know, people eating people's faces off. You know, it's always <laughs> it's yeah, always Florida. That's, a, that's what you always hear coming out of Florida is some weirdness like that, right? Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about what happened at the Pulse nightclub. Yeah, I was out of town when all this happened. So by yeah. the time I heard of either of them, all anyone was talking about was, was the Pulse incident. Like, right. I, I had no information about, um, I, see, I already forgot her name. Um, Christina Grimmie. Christina Grimmie, yeah. Here's an, yeah, right. Because it, because it, was, it was vastly so overshadowed, overshadowed yeah. by the fact that 50-something people died. Or 49 people died and 50-something people were wounded. I mean, that's massive. I mean, that's insanity. But here's an interesting link. Or here's an interesting, another interesting coincidence, quote-unquote. Omar Mateen also drove from out of town from Orlando and committed his act. So you have the same meme. You have a crazy person that drives from out of town comes to Orlando and commits these two heinous acts. I, I mean, it sounds to me like there's something up with that, man. It sounds to me like there's something coordinated there. Yeah, I can't put together what it could possibly be, but it, it is a crazy coincidence. Right. <clears throat> 
Now, a lot of people were talking about this Omar Mateen, the, the Pulse nightclub, and what happened over there. A lot of people were saying it's a false flag. I don't know. I don't know if it is no. or not. He no. definitely planned it. You know, his wife helped him to plan it. It's interesting that we were talking to Robert Guffey uh, a few shows ago about the second man phenomenon or third man phenomenon, how you hear about different people disappearing. Mm -hmm. And you saw quite a lot of memes are going on Facebook, uh, social media, YouTube, people talking about this was a false flag. People talking about how uh, certain things were being done for the cameras. People were crying for the cameras, the, the, all the, the kind of Sandy Hook stuff that you heard before. Uh, I don't buy it. This definitely happened. People definitely died. People definitely got wounded. But I thought this was interesting, this clip. And this is from one of the guys that was at the nightclub. And if you could play that for us, Rob. Shooter, when he entered, he went straight towards the right. He never came towards the left. The left room, which is considered like the hip-hop room, that's where the majority of my friends were. And that's why we didn't get hit by any of the bullets, because we automatically hit the floor and we started like trying to find some more escape. But everybody that was pretty much in the right room either got injured or kind of ran out through the other back door. What's the right room called? What is that? Um, I guess like the hip-hop room. Um, they just have like a really long bar there and um, mirrors everywhere. So do you think he was working with somebody else? Is that what I mean, I'm pretty sure it was more than one person. Um, I, you know, like I said, I heard two guns going at the same time. Um, you know, and it, and it was just, it was very, very, very crazy. How long did you shoot him? I, I want to say it lasted for about eight minutes. Like, he was in shock and he just kept on shooting and shooting and shooting and just so walking around. Was it rapid fire? Was it single shot? No, it was rapid fire. It's like, and then he'd like change, put another ammunition, and then change, put another ammunition. And I could just smell the ammo in the air. And I was like, this is a gun. This isn't fireworks. Like, we need to leave. Um, but I think that, like, we just need to create a better awareness, too. Like, you know, just when you're going out, like, even if you go to, like, movie theaters and stuff like that, like, always know where your exits are. That's that's one big takeaway that I have from this situation because, I mean, I feel like I could have saved a lot more people if we knew where the proper exits were. So, in a moment of desperation, we're all crawling on the floor trying to find a place to exit. And I look to my right, and I see that a lot of people are going through some curtains. So, we start digging through the curtains, and we finally see a door, and we try to, like, actually leave the door and exit the door. Um, as we're getting out of the door, there's a very like narrow, narrow passage. It must have been like maybe this thick, and there's probably like 50 people trying to like jump over each other and just like exit the place. And there was a guy kind of holding the door, and the guy was holding the door, not letting us exit. But we're like, what's going on? He's like, no, you guys have to stay inside, stay inside. And as he's saying that, the, the the shooter keeps getting closer and closer, and like the sound of the of the of the bullets are getting closer and closer. So everyone starts to panic. People are getting like trampled and stuff, and like you know we're like let us out, let us out. And the first thing that came to my mind is if it's an altercation between two people, you know like oh I don't I don't like this person or whatever. Then you have an automatic handgun and you just like you know shoot or whatever. But the fact that somebody came in there and out of nowhere all you hear is like I was like this has to be some type of either hate crime or I, I have no idea what it is. And then I put two and two together and I was like this guy's trying to prevent us from leaving the club. Maybe they're working together. Okay. There's a lot of noise in that clip. Sorry about that. But I think everybody can kind of get the gist of what he's saying there. Uh, saying that that in the pandemonium, everybody runs towards the back 
First of all, he does state at the beginning that he felt that there were two shooters, but then he's very clear that he says that there was only one guy and he was just, as the guy was running out of clips, he put more clips in to the assault rifle 15, right? Like, yeah, it actually wasn't even an AR 15. It was some other rifle. It wasn't even AR 15, but that, but, that, but that became, no, it was something like something else, like a six hour or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that, that the, like the AR 15, again, that meme just like comes up again, the whole gun control stuff. I don't even want to get into that with this because <laughs> it's just, it's, it's ridiculous at this point. But he says, he says that as everybody's running towards the back, all of a sudden there's a guy holding the door. There you go. Holding the door and saying everybody can't leave. And his feeling is that this guy is working with the shooter and preventing people from leaving. That is very interesting. So what's going on there? It was Hodor. Was Yeah, it was Hodor, right? Holding the door. You know... It's, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on here, man. There's also this link with this guy, Omar Mateen, and this G4S security that really security is kind of a misnomer. These guys are more like a mercenary group than they are like a security group. There's been several, um, controversies about them one of which is that apparently they've been accused of torturing young palestinian children in israel for the israelis so that's extremely interesting uh the fact that they suspended omar mateen and they still let him keep his gun let him keep his weapon uh the fact that omar mateen was also on the fbi terrorist was also on the watch list had been questioned but still somehow had these rifles and was able to do what he did. Right. And there's no doubt it was him. It, to, in order to have a uh, fully automatic yeah. license, you have to go through the mayor, and it costs thousands of dollars to get that license. But who was he working for? And was there anybody working with him? Those are the real questions. Again, reference back to this interview with Robert Guffey. We talked a lot about San Diego. We talked about kind of this intelligence milieu that goes on. Well, I don't know what exactly is in Orlando. Someone told me that there's a special forces group that is based in Orlando. I'm not saying that these are the people that did it or that coordinated it. But... I think at certain points, certain cities may get targeted for things like this to happen, for these kind of incidents. And whether it's something that is instigated, like someone drove Mateen to do this, commit this act, for whatever reason, whatever. I don't know. I don't know if it's about gun control. I don't know. He has to, and to me, I think he already has to be an Islamic radical. And then someone, shadow government, you know, was just like, hey, yeah. if you go do this at this time, we'll help you out and make sure you can carry it out. And then, and then what's the link with the night before with that shooting? Which I think would have been worse. Right. I think would have been another massacre. 
four miles away. And then what happens in the middle of the week while everybody's still down there in Orlando? A three-year-old gets dragged off by an alligator. And I'll give credit where credit is due to No Agenda Podcast with Adam Curry. He said that that was probably actually fake. A fake story. To just try to get everybody off the Omar Mateen story. I don't believe that. I think there's a possibility that that could have been a fake story to get everybody off the, the, the off track that these two shootings could have been related. I, I would say emphasized, but not fake. You know, like, ju- just yeah. expo- One expelled of the two. upon by the media. One of the two. Yeah, to get uh, overemphasized. To- right. Because those people were already down there. The thing is, guys, all this stuff is so unclear. And when I talk like this, and I kind of talk in circles, it's because I don't want to come out and say it's a false flag. I don't want to come out and say that it's it's this or it's that. But it's just like there are these strange elements that don't make any real sense. And it's so hard, especially since our show is called Conspiracy Normal. It's so so hard to not think that there's something going on, that there's a conspiracy here with this. Right. And I, yeah, I'm with you on that. But for this one, for some reason, it just it feels less like a less like a false flag, more like just the natural progression of things with all the the hatred and um, you know the division that's just been thrown at us the past couple of years. Yeah. And I think this kind of thing is going to happen more and more often. Yeah, I agree with you because I think you're going to have the copy. They're going to have the copycat effect. You're going to have that happen. Or you've got this group and we'll just pit them against this group and mm-hmm. then this group and this group, and that'll keep them busy. And then this group, and this group. And that's what it's all been building up to. When I had heard, uh, I'd heard about the Christina Grimmie shooting. Uh, just heard about it on CNN. Saw the, blurb about it on the CNN website. I said, okay, crazed fan. You know, we've seen it before, right? You know, it's happened many times. Girls have been stalked and have, have been shot by a crazed fan that says, if I can't have, you no one else. Well, that kind of thing. Um, but when I woke up the next, the next morning on Sunday morning, and heard about what happened at the Pulse nightclub. I was just like, wait a minute. Something's going on here. Something's not right. I'm like in the same city. Virtually the same time. Well, and it's sad because I, I heard about it when I, I finally got somewhere where I had internet service. I was out of town. Yeah. And I got on Facebook and I saw a post. Someone was talking about the, the Pulse club shooting and somebody else made a comment. And their reply to it was, no, 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 that was yesterday's shooting. I'm talking about today's shooting. Mm-hmm. Just in, they, they, And they said it in passing without any like sense of irony or sarcasm or anything. Right. And it was just like, that blew my mind right there alone. That's why I'm thinking at a certain point, some some cities are, are targeted. I think that they said that, that, that somebody drew out of a hat and said, okay, Orlando, it's Orlando's turn. For some odd reason, whatever that is. Um. You know, I talked about the gun control stuff and why I don't think a lot of this that's happened is because of gun control. I think it's really about this idea of a strategy of tension, keeping everybody on their toes 
in a, constantly in a state of fear. And I think it's working because when we talk about this and we're so reluctant to say false flag, we're so reluctant to say it's real. We don't know. That's really what's happening because we really don't know what's real and what's fake. We don't anymore. Yeah. And that's scary. And that's the point of the strategy of tension because it's constantly going to keep the public guessing. And I think some of these videos that are put out, especially about stuff about Sandy Hook and about, and I'll go out on a limb here and say this. I think some of these videos may have intelligence agencies putting those out to just further muddy the water and disinformation. Because this is the world that we live in where you have public relations firms and you have intelligence agencies and the waters are forever muddled. Okay. Luke, anything you want to add? Then you just have people that are trolls and just want to just mud yes. things up. You have those too. Exactly. Not, not in the, not in the, <laughs> not in the Pulse nightclub instance, but a lot of other things you'll, you'll mm-hmm. have people just trying to convolute things further just for the fun for, of it. Further complicate the matter. Yep. All right, guys, we have a uh, red pill junkie coming on and uh, we're going to be calling Mexico tonight. So we're going to have fun. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, well, kind of the topic I wanted to talk about was Carlos Castaneda and Terrence McKenna and about DMT and yeah. uh, psilocybin it, it, and whatever other hallucinogenic drugs we can think of right now. So did you go to the supermercado and get you a calling card? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to do that anymore with Skype, man. Oh. You, know? <laughs> you don't have to go to the supermercado. Supermercado. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be back with uh, Red Pill Junkie uh, in just a bit. Hey guys, we're back on Conspiracy Normal, and I am very excited to have a guest on tonight that I have known about for quite a few years, and that is Red Pill Junkie. And Red Pill is one of the editors, I think one of the main uh, voices of the website Daily Grail. And he has also been, I've also heard him a lot on Where Did the Road Go, along with uh, uh, Soraya Ascath, the host of that show, Joshua Cutchin, uh, who just got the privilege to hang out with down in Atlanta just a few days ago. And Red Pill is kind of like that part of that triumvirate. I guess what's, uh, what's the other guys? Uh, Michael, uh, I'm, I'm kind of yeah, don't remember my- his name. What's uh, the, the, other, the other gentleman, Michael, the tarot guy? Yeah, Michael, uh, and he's going to kill me because I don't remember <laughs> his last name right now. Yeah, that's, Michael M. Hughes. I think Michael Hughes. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I was going to say Hastings, but I don't think that. I didn't think that was his name, so I didn't want to sound like an idiot. Probably already did. But no, Red Pill, 
he's awesome. You know, he's a, a real scholar in a whole sorts of different topics. Yeah, I mean, he's another one to get on the show. And then, like the mm-hmm. co- the collection of the uh, midweek podcast and where do the road go would be complete for me. So, but uh, Red Pill, Red Pill Junkie, welcome mm-hmm. to welcome to Conspiracy Normal. It's, oh, thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Uh, very delighted to have you. Uh, first of all, you have a very interesting nickname, Red Pill Junkie. <laughs> so where does this come from? You know, I mean, I know, uh, obviously, I know the story behind what inspired it. But how I really came up with the actual nickname is probably going to be an enigma, you know, something that probably popped up into my brain and at the moment I say, yeah! So, <laughs> the thing is that uh, by the end of the 1990s, no, actually by the mid of the 1990s, I became uh, a huge fan, fan of Carlos Castaneda because I managed to yes. finally find a copy of The Teachings of Don Juan in the library of my university. And I have been, I have heard about Castañeda uh, by reading um, esoteric magazines in Spanish. And I was really curious about what was the deal with him. You know, he seemed to be uh, something of a, a of an interesting character. And then finally managed to read uh, the, the teachings of Don Juan. And I was absolutely hooked. By it, you know. After that, I I read the other uh, three books of what I consider his main uh, tetralogy of of, of books. Uh, almost, you know, uh, in a matter of I don't know two three months, which is kind of like uh, weird for me because I'm a, a something of a slow reader. But then, like I, like I'm saying, you know, I, I became really fascinated by the universe he was portraying in, in these books that some people refer to as novels or other people still think that they have they may be some truth behind the stories he was uh, uh, he, he put into into these uh, uh, publications uh, anyway uh, then the End of the 1990s came, and with that came also the the movie The Matrix. And I also went to see the movie, (laughs) and I was completely blown blown out by by this story uh, concocted by the Wachowski siblings. By now, because they are no longer. They're no, no longer brothers. Well, I thought I thought they're the Wachowski sisters now, though, right? Because didn't the guess, other one get a know, sex change? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Luke's looking would. at me with his mouth wide open. <laughs> Who, knows? Who knows? I love they the Matrix. Switch. They may switch in the next month or so. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But anyway, uh, when I saw the movie, I saw it as more than a cool sci-fi story about you know people fighting along uh, fighting uh robot robots and being kept in this virtual re- reality scenario i saw it as something far more profound something that really seemed to uh reverberate and to to have a lot of similarities to the 
Castaneda philosophy. You know, the idea that we humans are living in something of an illusion, illusory uh, world that is almost like a prison cell created by uh, other entities that have been taking advantage of us. And they, they want us to, to remain in ignorance of our present condition. And many other aspects, like, for example, uh, in the movie, Morpheus, to me, was the perfect uh, characterization of Don Juan, you know, the, the, the elder uh, shaman, if you want, who takes this uh, young uh, potential prospect, you know, Neo or Carlos in, in, in the story of Castaneda, as his pupil, as his next student, and shows him the truth about the world. How does he do that in the movie? By using the famous, you know, red pill, you know, perfect metaphor, that in the Castaneda uh, philosophy was all these uh, power plants, uh, essentially uh, mezcalito, peyote, that was used uh, by Don Juan in order to, like... Uh, I don't know, unshackle Carlos's brain out of his uh, initial or primordial con conditioning. And, you know, many other aspects that, that probably sh uh, shouldn't get into it because it will be, you know, too long and too <laughs> elaborate. Right. It, As most why, of this stuff is. Very, exactly, very right. You know, yes, it's definitely. You, you don't really... You really can't get the Reader's Digest version yeah, of all no. of these, you know. Into I mean, we'll try a little bit tonight, but exactly. I, I do want to ask you, how did you get into, and this is probably associated with what you were just talking about, but how did you get into the, the like, you know, studying UFOs, Fordiana, all this kind of weird stuff that, that you, that you, that you study and talk about? Well, UFOs is something I've always been fascinated about ever since I can remember you know ever since i was a child i was fascinated by um movies involving ufos flying saucers you know visitors from another planet so i was born in 1973 right so in 1980 et the extraterrestrial came out i think it was 83 right 80, 82 I think. Okay, too. So I was nine years old when uh, E.T. Destruction uh, came out, and I was, you know, pro probably the right age to be completely hooked by the idea of encountering beings from another world, you know. And obviously, uh, after, uh, before E.T., there's also uh, close encounters of the third kind. And oh yeah, Cocoon, all these movies, you know, that came out in the 1980s. Steven Spielberg, I'm not ashamed to say, is uh, pro my probably my favorite director of all time, you know, and he's probably been a huge influence, not so much in my way of thinking about the phenomenon nowadays, but definitely in getting my interest yeah. about the phenomenon. So, all, all except for War of the Worlds, that was... <laughs> Well, he had it, that, that was just the Dakota Fanning screaming for like an hour and a half. He had a few I interesting it. things about it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it as a, as a how uh, 
normal family will deal with such a thing. That is that is an interesting uh, take on it. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the, it's not really beyond that. Uh, actually, the the series that that uh, uh, Spielberg produced. What's the name? Taken. Taken. Yeah. No, 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 no. The the one that was more like um, Close Encounters. No, more in the vein of World of Worlds. Uh, Falling Skies. Falling Skies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's an interesting series. I, uh, I ended up uh, watching it. But anyway, aside from the, the, from the Hollywood influence, I also started to read a lot of uh, books about it, you know, probably books that I shouldn't be, have been uh, reading when I was so young, but I, I didn't, didn't care at the time. And also, there was the matter of this young Mexican TV producer by the name of Jaime Maussan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who in the 1980s, he was a, a producer uh, involved with the Mexican ver- version of 60 Minutes, right? And, and he happened to produce uh, a really interesting uh, program for the 60 Minutes uh, uh, for the 60 minutes show involving the, the footage uh, released by this Swiss farmer by the name of Billy Meyer. And mm-hmm. all these things, you know, the, with this, his alleged encounters with the Pleiadians. And if you are a kid like me in Mexico in the 1980s, you know, with, you know, like, stars in your eyes and all and you see those kinds of movie uh, those kinds of footage you know this silver perfect uh, flying saucers with a very bucolic you know very uh, green forest like landscape you know that that really caught on for me and, and I was fascinated by all of that and I, I guess that increased my interest further and now you look back on something like that and you're like, that's a little too good. Exactly. Uh, I think if you've never had a disappointment about the things that you used to believe uh, when you first became interested in the, in, in this matter, mm-hmm. you probably have a lot of soul search to do. I mean, because there's a lot of deception in these phenomena, you know, both from people uh, involved in it, you know, the, the, the humans who have claimed to have, have contra- contact with these entities, and also from the phenomenon itself, you know. So if you haven't revised your theories or your, you know, point of view about this phenomenon since you started to get interested into that, then you're probably not being paying much attention to it. Well, well Hami Massad, I think, is a good case of that because hasn't yeah. he been caught faking things or has been caught where he's too readily or too ready to believe? And like, like there was like people that put up balloons or something in Mexico City and he was mm-hmm. saying that they were UFOs and then they went back and told him. It was something like that that I remember seeing on on television that they were saying that this guy was pretty much too willing to believe in in UFOs and it also was faking. Mausan is interesting because you really don't know if uh, he's that gullible. Yeah. I mean, into really believing everything that ends up in his plate, you know, that people sense 
sent to him, or if he is into some kind of really uh, per, a vicious cycle of needing, having the need to come up with fresh stuff in order to feed his audience, you know, in order to keep his rating because he's still part of uh, the the largest TV network in Mexico. He still has right. a, a, a regular TV show every Sunday afternoon. You know, I think right now he probably is. Uh, no, I think his show has ended up like uh, an hour ago. But he's, he has that need to, to come up with something fresh on a regular basis. And I think that maybe the same thing happened to uh, those or some of those early contactees, contactees of the 1950s and the 1960s. Yeah. The George Adamskis. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe even Billy Meyer. Maybe yeah. what hap- What if we consider the fact that maybe Billy Meyer did in fact have a genuine uh, contact, you know, on the first years, but then, you know, for some reason, the contact dries up as it often does. And, you know, he still needs to to come up with something new because he's managed to gather something of a following of or even a, a, like a, a cult-like uh, gathering around him. You know, he yeah. became something of a guru, you know, to a, a community. That a lot of those up. guys end up that way. Exactly. That's how you got I, Heaven's Gate, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or John Smith, you know, of of the the Mormons, you know. Maybe maybe he did have some kind of like contact with some entity, you know, that he confused with an angel, you know, Moroni. But then he he still needs to to feed up, you know, and and make his followers believe that he's still in con- contact with 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 the God or, or these entities or the angels or whatever. So. Now comes the moment when they start start to fabricate. Mm-hmm. They start to make hoaxes. It's it's really difficult to ascertain when the genuine uh, anomalous encounter uh, begins and when the fakery, you know, the purely human fakery starts. Yeah, I would agree with you on that because I, I really think you know, like. With Adamski, uh, you know, his contact experiences, you know, I, on the face of it, they really do seem ridiculous. Like the, the, mm-hmm. the tall blonde Venusians that he called them. Yeah. And it, and I always just thought that that stuff was so fake. But since studying this the way that I have, and, you know, and, and I agree with the whole, you know, Jacques Vallée hypothesis of this mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. that there's a lot more going on here than just aliens from Zeta Reticuli. But I think yeah. that there was an actual real experience that he had, but he had to keep the ball rolling at a certain point to, to just to live, to put, you know, to put money in the bank account, essentially. Exactly. Or, or also the fact that, okay, you have an initial uh, anomalous encounter with something that you really cannot explain in mundane, mundane terms because you don't have a, a framework in order to like pin it, pin it down, right? And then then is where uh, Greg Bishop's co-creation theory uh, comes along because you 
as a human being or try to interpret whatever happened to you in the best possible way, right? And, and yeah. what whatever you use to try to interpret it or decipher it is in, inevitably biased by your cultural conditioning, your 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 surroundings, your your geographical and sociological circumstances. All those things play a part. So one person's encounter with the Virgin Mary would be maybe another person's encounter with uh, an alien intelligence and another person's encounter with a demon. Right. It's it's the same phenomenon as just showing it differently as to how you interpret it. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Let's let's get into Castaneda because mm-hmm. you're talking about uh, forming cults because <laughs> yeah. this is almost kind of where this ends up with, but who was Carlos Castaneda and what were some of his beliefs? You know, who, who was Don Juan? You mentioned him a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, what exactly were some of the experiences that he had? Well, who Carlos Castaneda was is probably some, a question that I and nobody else will ever be able to answer. Mm-hmm. You know, because he successfully managed to create this, I don't know, this mythology surrounding it. And, and think about it, the, the amount of willpower that it takes, not just, you know, to create a cult or to come up with cool stories, you know, that get published and, and, and become bestsellers. The, I, the fact that if you try right now, people listening to this, you try to Google the name Carlos Castañeda, either with the Ñ or the Spanish Ñ or or the N, the way that uh, Americans uh, spell it, you will only come up with, you know, just a handful of photographs, black and white photographs that are uh, alleged to be of him. And that is still in question. So Hmm. the, the guy managed to try to stay out of the public eye in a very oblique way, you know, in order to, to, well, apparently he was doing that in order to follow one of Don Juan's tenets of erasing your personal history, you know, which is part of his, the philosophy that he, you know, uh, penned out or proposed in his books. So in, in these books, uh, the story uh, as it is portrayed in the first book, The Teachings of Don Juan, is that Carlos was a young anthropologist student of UCLA, and he made a trip to Mexico or or somewhere near the border to Mexico where he met this uh, elder Yaqui Indian by the name of Don Juan Matus, who was supposed to be what uh, in Spanish is called a brujo, you know. Uh, uh, now we now we use the term shaman, but well, uh, uh, will be someone who is the, has a lot a lot of lore with regards to you know magical teachings, you know, and traditions. Now let me ask you. I'm going to ask you, uh, sure, Red Pill, because you know, I, 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 of course, up here, you know, we have a. a a pretty decent Hispanic population, Mexican population. You know, I, I have heard the word bruja um, yeah. bandied around a lot 
is is yeah. is there a less of a negative connotation to the words bruja, brujo or bruja than we would say like witch? Because that's what it would translate to in English. Is but is there a less of a negative connotation to it? I will have to say no, and the reason is because you have to. We have to keep in consideration the fact that uh, when the Spanish came and conquered Mexico, you know, they imposed their point of view, their religion uh, onto the native population, you know, and what were the the ancient uh, Native American idols or deities, you know, were then rebranded as demons, you know, and devils yeah. uh, uh, in the eyes of the conquerors. And, well, you know, at some point, it's really hard to, to disagree with them because think about it, you know, the, the, the Native American cultures in, in these lands used to perform quite a lot of human sacrifice to yeah. honor their gods, you know. So obviously, you know, even if you don't want to call them demons, that that still has some kind of net negative connotations. Just, anyway, just slightly, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But the thing is that still, uh, word bruja still has a really, really negative connotation. Uh, probably that's the reason why in New Age... Uh, esoteric magazines, you know, that want to deal with the, all these sort of stuffs, they use the uh, alternative ner- terms like I don't know, hechicero, which will be um, similar to wizard in in English, or 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 chaman, which is you know like shaman. Shaman, okay, yeah, but yeah, it definitely still has a, a negative connotation. I remember. You know, back when was when I was still in high school and I was still a, a, a devout Catholic, you know, a very devout Catholic. Uh, 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 all my all my uh, my grade school, junior high, and high school, I studied on on private schools that were held by by um, a religious order, the Josephines, and okay. uh, we went out to to do some kind of like, I don't know, evangelization work, you know, going to to impoverished areas in, in Mexico, you know, little towns when we will, you know, do some kind of social work and help out, you know, and, and do some kind of like uh, ministering and, and all of that. And I remember when we, we stayed with one of those families and we were looking out at the landscape at, at the, uh, on our first night there, you know, and uh, our hosts were telling telling us that the hill that was just in front of their home, they used to see uh, weird lights, you know, dancing around on, on that hill some, some nights. And they said that they, those were the brujas. Brujas. That were, you know, yeah, dancing around and, you know, maybe fighting around with with some <laughs> other brujas at night. And I remember how fascinated, fascinated I was at that, you know. At, at, at that time, I said, well, you know, they just misinterpreting a flying saucer, you know, an extraterrestrial UFO for a bruja. Nowadays, I'm not really that that right. Su- <laughs> right, it's gone back the other way. Exactly. Yeah. But but back to Castaneda. I was just curious yeah. about that. So he meets. So he supposedly 
Mm-hmm. And emphasis on supposedly, he meets this Don Juan character. Yep. And what does he do with this guy? Well, Don Juan like first tests him, you know, to see if he's worthy of of uh, receiving this knowledge. It was kind of like a, a weird test of trying to find like a a, a place of power in in the ground you know a place where he will uh carlos will be like connected to to the earth's energy that, and all of that that was but, one of my most memorable parts of the books for some reason i don't don't know why but him searching around for this special place he was supposed yeah. to sit and he's overthinking yeah, exactly. it and yeah, so exactly he, so he sits down and he's like is this a spot and don Juan's like no try again is yeah. this a spot and finally he gives up and like relaxes somewhere and don Juan's like yeah good job you got <laughs> yes, it yes like, that is exactly Rob. That is a, like a staple uh, moment in, in in the books because that same thing of of Carlos dealing with with his Western rationality will play over and over and over again in in, in the story. You know how he was trying to find a rational explanation that Western people would agree on, but then you know at the end of the day he. He realized that that was a futile attempt in trying to 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 make tackle. it conform to his perspective and rules. And exactly, exactly. At one point, he says, "Okay, you know, the, the Western rules don't apply in this universe, so I might as well, you know, get rid of them." And that's when he finally kind of like he truly begins his uh, initiation as a as a sorcerer's apprentice, but. Getting to to how before that, after he completes this fi- first test, then um, Don Juan gives him uh, a bunch of uh, peyote in a in a ritual ceremony, and that is also a, a kind of a very memorable aspect on that first book because what played out as a really intense experience. In Don, in Carlos's eyes of, of meeting this like uh, non-human entity, in the eyes of of other onlookers, he, they said to him later, you know, after he kind of like come, came to his senses, that he had been like frolicking around with a dog, and the dog ended up like pissing on the, on him, and then he ended up pissing on the dog, something <laughs> like that, which sounds completely outrageous, but for Don Juan. That didn't matter. What mattered was uh, Carlos's subjective interpretation, which meant that you know Mescalito, this like uh, entity or deity or or, or nah, how could we address it? Uh, this entity kind of like accepted Carlos, and it signaled him to be like the one. Ah, and by saying the one, we harken back to the Matrix here, you know, and 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 that was. Uh, a signal to Don Juan that he fi- he had finally found uh, a worthy student, you know, to become like uh, his apprentice. And as it is uh, eventually played out in the rest of the books, Carlos was supposed to be Don Juan's uh, replacement, you know, and take his role as leader of this group of brujos that will be uh, gathered around him. So what kind of experiences did Cassidy have? What were these entities that he, that, that he had seen? 
Well, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer because in the books, he keeps talking about what they call, at one point, allies. You know, and, and it, it, on those first books, it's really not, it's really not clear what they are talking about. You, you, you feel they're talking about some kind of supernatural entities, maybe spirits of some sorts. But then, of the, as the books progress and they become more more complex in their uh, interpretation and in, and their the explanation of the universe they present, the allies are now labeled as um, non-organic entities. So these non-organic entities they seem to inhabit a realm that is really separate from the human realm that is only uh, accessible to uh, brujos, you know, to men of power, as they are often called in, in Castaneda's philosophy, through the use of their, you know, techniques and all that. But they are also accessible to normal human beings when you are in a dream state, right? So... You know, you end up comparing these uh, non-organic entities with Terence McKenna's uh, self-dribbling machine elves. You know, you you start to wonder if if they are one and the same. Maybe they are, maybe they are not. But the idea is that these are entities that are completely outside uh, our the human perspective, that they at times seem to interact with us. And Castañeda proposes that some humans are powerful enough energetically to try to take those entities, um, I don't know, into their command to do their bidding. Hmm. That's, uh, that's really fascinating as far mm-hmm. as, you know, uh, the link there to well, alien abduction, alien contact experience. Sure. I mean, that is something yeah. that I mean that I just naturally gravitate towards. Yeah, because it's because it sounds very much like what you describe. What he's describing there is something mm-hmm. like what Whitley Strieber talks about with the, with his visitors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at one point you start to figure to wonder if this is just like you said the same phenomenon interpreted differently. You know from Different perspective, different cultures, different uh, uh, different traditions, you know. But right. like this is like a, a, a common thing in the human experience: this uh, interaction with the other. Right. I think the other is the best way to try to 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 interpret. Uh, these beings, because if we call them aliens, we call them visitors, we're inferring, number one, that they are completely different to, to, to us human beings. And number two, if we, go, we, we call them visitors, we're inferring that they, are, they come from elsewhere. Well, come from somewhere what else. If yeah. They are also native, uh, native entities to this world, but right. just, we just don't pay attention to them the way that maybe our ancestors used to. Right. We don't perceive them as much. And when they do, Correct. They, they do come across to us as other. 
mm-hmm. in a way. One of the things I wanted to ask you about Castaneda was, uh, you know, I had not asked for, I'm not really familiar with the guy. Um, you know, I, I remember reading uh, Adam Go-Rightly's article. Yeah. Uh, about that there was some doubt that Castaneda was really telling the truth or that he made sure. Don Juan up. Yep. And that also a lot of his activities, as we kind of mentioned before, I guess towards the end of his life was almost, he almost had this cult-like image uh, mm-hmm. that uh, people really followed him kind of blindly. Uh, can you speak mm-hmm. to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I remember how um, by the early 2000s, I started to reading uh how Castañeda became like more 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 public than he used to. Yeah, he started to come up with this uh, clear green organization in which he wanted to do. He uh, created a, a lot of workshops and he went to Europe and Spain, a lot of these places with his followers in order to to impart what he claimed were you know, uh, secret magical movements that harken back to thousands of, and thousands of years from from an ancient uh, tradition of, of Mexican uh, wizards or, or brujos. You know, they call them. He called them Toltecs. Yeah. So there was that, and then there was <laughs> the news that Castañeda had died, and it was like, what? I mean, what? <laughs> the, the, the student of Don Juan, the guy who managed to, like, defeat death itself, you know, and he went out with his uh, follower of Brujos, and they managed to attain total freedom, and the guy dies of cancer? How come? How's how this possible? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. You know, and then, you know, uh, as it usually happens in those circumstances, you know, a lot of people came out and say, oh, he was a fraud all along, and there, nothing of, of what he wrote was true. Well, there were many doubts about the veracity of his books from the get-go, you know, I mean, from the 70s or something, you know. I guess it's inevitable when you manage to reach that level of popularity. I mean, Castañeda... Uh, was the subject of uh, uh, the cover of Time magazine at one point. You know that is that kind of is a huge deal. When when is the last time that you saw uh, the cover of Time magazine dealing with topics like I don't know alien abduction or right. or you know dreams or psychedelic trips and all of that? So that gives you a hint of how popular he was back in the day. Yeah, he was but big with the counterculture, was what it definitely. was. Yeah. He was a pil- one of the pillars of the counterculture. He was kind of like uh, uh, set aside after Timothy Leary became like more important. And then Timothy Leary, obviously, was also cast out. And then Terrence McKenna took its place. And then, you know, the counterculture became more diffused. And I'm afraid to say more... Uh, materialized because they started to worry more about merchandising and all of that. Yeah. But anyway, there is this issue, you know, that all of these claims uh, that none of what he wrote was true or not. You know, Go Rightly did a fine job 
writing their article. There's also a, a lot of really interesting articles that people can look for on the internet, especially one in, I think it was published in Salon. I think, I don't know if it was in 2011, 2012, maybe we can uh, provide a link later, you know, for you guys to, 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 to post it on your website. But thing is that from my point, point of view, whether Castañeda made it all up or not, it starts to become kind of like secondary. Really, I really, I really don't care if if it was all a fiction of the imagination of his imagination, because there's still a lot of valuable stuff that you can gather right. from and that's his what I was, philosophy. And that's exactly what I was going to say. It's the the philosophy is the thing that's most important to me, and that's not based on the credibility of of Carlos himself or whether Don Juan was real or not. It's, you know, philosophy is, it, it is what it is. It's Cause, cause maybe he could have been doing the pe- peyote on his own Tom. Yeah. He got this stuff from somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. yeah he probably, some people have accused him. Well, I don't know if accused is the right term of, of, of coming together and picking and choosing you know, stuff from different uh, esoteric traditions. And some people say, oh my God, that is wrong. Well, well, maybe it's not that wrong. Not in the light of maybe someone like Daniele Bolelli, who wrote a book, Create Your Own Religion, who basically like proposes the idea of picking and choosing the stuff of different religions that make sense to you and using that in order to create your own moral basis. Well, Carlos then did the same thing with esoteric stuff, you know? And the thing is that many of the things that he uh, portrayed in his books does seem to be have some uh, basis of reality. For example, the, the stuff about lucid dreaming. I remember when I was uh, uh, still reading the first books and he pro- uh, when there's a part where Don Juan proposes to, to Carlos about trying to attain lucidity in your dreams by simply uh, forcing yourself to look into the palm of your hands when you're dreaming. And that is kind of like a hmm. signal to trying to tell your, to your mind that you are in a dream state. I remember when I read that and, and said, well, wouldn't it be cool if I can put that into a test? And you know what? It actually happened. You know, I, I don't know if it was like, the next night or oh, so know, you tried you tried this i tried it and it worked and i remember it was a momentous uh, experience in my life when i the moment when you say oh my god this stuff that i have been reading in books and you left are left with a sense of well maybe it is true maybe it is not it has finally come into fruition. It's almost like reading about uh, flying saucers landing, you know, in some field, and the next day you actually see a flying saucer, you know, landing right in front of you. It was almost as important to me. Hmm. Rob, you got anything that you want to add to that? Like, you, you know a lot about this stuff. <laughs> no, just I, I remember that as well. Um, like you're talking about the, the triggers for for lucid dreaming, and and I think there's um one thing I, I was curious about is 
the the traditions he's describing i i don't think there's any way to verify or or disprove it cuz there's i mean there's not a whole lot of people out there that are steeped in like the culture that like that he's claiming to have been uh sort of inducted into well the thing is that he was uh in the philosophy in his books he's talking about this tradition this lineage of uh, brujos that harken back to tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of years uh, into the past, which already contradicts what uh, what modern archaeology and modern anthropology tells us about the uh, original cultures that uh, settled down and inhabit uh, the uh, Valley of Mexico and all of that, you know, the, the, the cultures that you learn about in history books like, well, the Teotihuacanos, which are fascinating because well, there's so many things we don't know about it. The Toltecs, the, the Totonacas, uh, the, the Mayas, of course, the Chichimecas, the Mexicas, with that which we know as the Aztecs, many other cultures. And Castañeda in the book says, no, 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 this tradition that I'm talking about is even older. And that's obviously becomes uh, uh, something of a, a contradiction. Some people will say, well, you know, that's, that was his, his uh, way out of it. You know, he, his way to, to not explain it too deeply or as a safe way in, in case uh, uh, academics try to contradict him. But at the same time, let's be honest, you know, there, there, there are so many things we're st- uh, still uh, discovering uh, every, each year about our past, you know, things like Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that still keeps uh, taking the history of civilization further, further, further back into the past. Yeah. To the point that uh, r- there really is no way to know when the first uh, human settlers uh, arrived into the Americas. You know, so now, uh, now we're saying that they arrived like 15,000 years ago, maybe, you know, 20 years from now, we'll say, well, no, no, it's actually 25,000 years ago. <laughs> and maybe f- 100 years from now, we'll say, well, you know, it was, it was actually 50,000 years ago. We just don't know. Yeah, it keeps getting pushed forward, forward and it's, forward. Yeah. yeah. It's a very good point. A civilization, I think, is way older than what we give it credit for, I think. Sure. And and what do we understand as civilization? What we understand right now uh, about civilization could be very different as what they understood it, you know, back then. You know, we yes. think of civilization as, you know, society with, I don't know, roads and and telephones and and this uh interconnectedness that maybe didn't have any meaning or any need to you know, back then, you know, maybe uh, when we're talking about a truly advanced civilization, we think about, I don't know, flying cars, you know, airplanes, these uh, 
obscene use of energy as we uh, know it today, right? But maybe back in those days, energy was used for completely uh, different reasons. Maybe uh, temples managed to gather energy, you know, because there were place rounds, you know, special places in, in geography, you know, what we will call now ley lines, right? These nobles in which, in which Earth's energy is gathered and, and, and concentrated. And they will use it not to build telephones or not to build roads or not to, you know, get people connected into devices so they can waste time playing, I don't know, Minecraft <laughs> or, or Candy Crush, but they used it for different purposes. Like, what about, you know, trying to tap into different realities? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's something that we wouldn't even recognize. And, exactly. And, uh, of a, uh, the, the, we would go back in time and we would say, this is not an advanced civilization. It's just a bunch of guys sitting around getting stoned. <laughs> That's how we would look at it, right? Yeah, what? How would Leonardo da Vinci assess us? You know, if he was, you know, transported back into he, the future for him, five hundred years into he, uh, further, yeah. uh, into his age, and he we'll probably want to go back. Exactly, you, yeah. he will see all all of us. You know, all of his uh, uh, descendants using machines that will be, you know, completely outside the scope of anything that in his age would be able to be built, you know, be machines that not only need an enormous amount of energy to function, but also they, they are composed of metals that are being gathered around from all around the world. These, these precious, you know, rare metals that are used to create silicon chips, that are used to make the transistors that are part of our computers. And he will see, okay, what are, are the future, the, the people of the future using these godlike machines for? Oh, they're using it to watch cat videos of cats. Wow. <laughs> yeah, or keeping up with the Kardashians <laughs> or something, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> that we can discuss here because we wanted to keep it PG. That's right. Hey, uh, let's, let's get into Terrence McKenna because uh, I have done a little bit of research on McKenna. And this is some interesting stuff. I mean, first of all, who was this guy and what was some of his main ideas? Wow, like like Castaneda, I think it's impossible to say who Terrence McKenna was. You know, he was he was the bard. You know, he was like yeah. the true heir to the throne of the counterculture once uh, Leary and the other people went away. You know, he was, you know, he, first of all, he was a guy who was living in middle class America in the 1950s, you know, and a time when people, what people aspired the most was uh, uniformity, was not standing out, was trying to get a sense of normal after the world and humanity had gone to the biggest trauma in all of our recent history, World, world War II, when really people were on the brink 
of uh, societal destruction and even maybe even uh, world destruction because World War II also brought the the initiated the age of the atom bomb, right? So you have all these tensions and all these people that you know all the the GIs that went back from the the Normandy's beach and uh, the trauma that they 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 experience in Europe and and in Asia. And what they wanted to is they wanted to get to a sense of normal. And at the same time, there were the you know the younger generations who wanted something more, so wanted to explore more. And they started reading these uh, articles that came out in Time magazine about people who were encountering uh, psychedelic mushrooms that was part of the indigenous tradition of of uh, people in in Mexico, like in Oaxaca. I'm talking about obviously about uh, uh, Savi- uh, Maria Sabina, and uh, these uh, these articles created a huge impact in these younger generations who wanted who started to flock there and trying to try to to see what was about about all of that, you know, and, and that's how the the initial like seed of the counterculture movement in the 1960s came about and McKenna became part of it. You know, he embraced it, you know, with open arms. He wanted to be a part of that along with his, with his brother, Dennis. He, he came up with a plan to go to uh, the jungles of, I think it was Colombia, if not Peru. So he wanted to go in search of, of these um, ancient traditions of the use of psychedelics, right? And it was a really perilous journey, you know, and full of descent because, you know, the people who were part of, the, of this expedition, you know, they obviously had their own agenda, their own bias, their own, their own I don't know, uh, personality dysfunctions. Anyway, uh, they arrived to a place called uh, La Chorrera, where they stayed there for many, many months doing nothing but, you know, eating uh, psychedelic mushrooms, you know, almost on a daily basis. I think that was all they consumed. So you could imagine, you know, these guys like went (laughs) bye-bye. You know, their normal way of thinking was completely obliterated. And uh, Terence and his brother came convinced that were they were in contact with a non-human entity that was going to teach them a way to create some kind of like a spaceship that was going to be like emanating from the body of uh, of uh, Terence's brother Dennis. Man, this, th- is this, called, is, this I mean, this is getting really high right here. This is what course. this is called. I mean, <laughs> of course, this is something that even see some people who might have an inkling of interest in the UFO will say, what? Yeah. But that was the, 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 the mindset of these guys. And this is what is known as the experiment of La Chorrera. And I don't think that it, what happened in those, in those days when they were so young ended up influencing the rest of their lives. You know, Dennis, after, you know, he came up to his senses 
he decided that he wanted to follow the, the path of science in order to understand these experiences. So he became a, a, a scientist. Uh, I think he was a, a bio bot, uh, a, a botanist, a biochemist. And but Terence, you know, he decided that no, science would never be able to understand all of this. Science had to be revoked. So he went his own way in order to become a, a prominent figure into the counterculture. And he also came up with his famous or infamous, you know, time wave zero theory, you know, that posited that by the end of 2012, which will nicely coincide with the end of the Mayan calendar, yeah, uh, like time will speed up and in order to become a singularity, and that will signal the moment in which humanity would finally transcend to the next step of evolution or something like that. <laughs> How do you think we're doing with that so far? It's 2016 now, so... I, think, I do think that a world ended in 2012, that we... People in this era don't managed to see it because we're still like immersed in this age in this uh, time time space but maybe our descendants you know a hundred a thousand years into the future will say yeah you know things really did change uh, by the time that 2012 came to an end and you think about it the world has sped up orders of magnitude more after after 2012 guys this is uh 26th of june of 2016 the uk is no longer in the in 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 the european union you know that is just one of the momentous changes that we are experiences experiencing as a species and it's going just going to pile up, pile up, pile up. And I think that one of the reasons that those things happened, you know, Brexit, the Trump campaign, is because people are afraid of how fast things are changing. Yeah. And they want to try to find a way to, to hold or to try to restrain or slow down the page of process, which is kind of like a ludicrous or futile uh, attempt. But anyway, I think what we're experiencing right now at this moment, this day, is like a direct reaction to the fear of how how fast things are changing before our eyes. Yeah, I I agree. I think we're approaching sort of a... um almost like a critical mass or a boiling point where things yeah. have been changing exponentially and we're past the, the, you know, the, the curve to where now it's, it's start, it's going to start skyrocketing and it's, it's definitely an exciting time to be alive. For sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I'm here, but. I'm too. I mean, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, maybe we did cho- choose to, to be alive in this time and age, you know, and as part of our, of our growing experience as uh, evolutionary souls, you know, but maybe that's for another <laughs> for another podcast. One of the things I liked about uh, Terence McKenna, I found this interesting 
was his theory on human origins. Ah, and he, yeah. ca- he called this the stoned ape theory. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> what, is that, what is that theory? The, well, the, people have to look into the uh, YouTube clip of Bill Hicks <laughs> explaining it succinctly in, I don't know, like four minutes or so, you know, yeah. with mon- monkeys, you know, going and being so stupid that they couldn't even, you know, try to hunt a cow. And they will look out, go like, and the, and the cow will fled. And the only thing that the, the monkey could do is to try to, like, eat up the stuff that was growing from the from uh, and from that is like and then oh you're cutting in and out just a bit oh, there Redpill. and then it's like oh I think we can go to the moon you know and then it's like in an instant you know that from going from to uh, 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 like in 2001 <laughs> So the stone ape theory is uh, pretty much, if you think about it, is about some kind of catalyst that uh, came in contact or influenced our evolutionary uh, progression and sped it up uh, dramatically, orders of magnitude uh, more rapidly than other species uh, comparatively. And... If it, it's almost like the same argument, like that ancient alien theories posit, you know, the idea that something came and, and influenced the evolution of our species. And that's how we came up about. And that's how we, you know, managed to, to come up from, you know, some kind of like uh, primordial, ape-like being two million years ago to, you know, having uh, cell phones and, and, and satellites orbiting our planet, you know, in what could be readily be a, a blink of an eye, you know, in evolutionary terms. I think that Graham Hancock has this idea that, uh, was it in his book, Supernatural, mm-hmm. that people ancient people learned certain techniques, uh, certain skills from basically these vision quests that they would take uh, while using psychedelic drugs. Yep. And I, I find that absolutely fascinating that, that, that could have been a possibility. Me too. Cause I you're, mean- cause you're in contact with, you are in contact with, with the intelligences that we, well, we just kind of just talked about. It's about bro- broadening the manner in which we can come in, contact with the other because I remember when I went to the first Paradigm Symposium in 2012 you know we had uh, George Sukalos, we had Eric Mondanikin coming up coming up with the same spiel that have, they have proposed <laughs> like 30 years ago you know yeah, the, yeah. The, the other descending into our plane of existence using basically you know a, a, a rocket you know, blasting up into the descending, landing into into the into the area, and then teaching. Right, because the, these these guys from the, this advanced civilization from another uh, solar system used 1960s technology like rockets. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they went exactly the same 
technological uh, uh, evolution that we did, you know, yeah. just to the core. And that to me is so, uh, it has such a lack of uh, originality in its way of thinking. You know, it's, it's just so boring. It's just like a, a like a bad <laughs> uh, B movie explanation of how we can, you know, contact uh, other species. Graham Hancock and Terence McKenna proposed, well, what if, you know, there are other realms of, of existence that we can uh, access by just, you know, hacking into our normal uh, nerval, neural system, you know, by using these uh, psychedelic plants that, you know, coincidentally, they seem to bind so, so well with our neurons, you know, with the way that, that our brain is supposed to function. And, and Terence McKenna went even further and said, well, maybe that is the way an alien intelligence tries to conquer the universe, you know, by sending, by mutating its nature and becoming spores that can be easily sent out to all the, the most remote confines of the universe, and then by arriving there and settling there into those alien environments, slowly changing the landscape and slowly changing the 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 metabolism and the and the DNA, you know, the very yeah, like uh, uh, coding of the species inhabiting that that new environment. Yeah, Rob was telling me right before we started the show. That uh, he was saying that mushroom spores can live in outer space. Is that what you're saying, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, dormantly they they can travel through space and land somewhere and just do their thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that actually like it's an interesting experiment because it's it forces you to consider how you um, how you consider technology. Like for example, we when you, when I say the word technology, maybe the thing the first thing that pop into your head is I don't know, cars, computers, uh, rockets, satellites, those kind of like matter-based elements by which our civilization has been built upon. But think about, for example, ayahuasca. You know, this uh, brew that has been concocted and that has been used by the tribes in the Amazons for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Is that not also a form of technology? And we don't really know how they managed to come up with the right combination of plants and ingredients in order to, to, to create the right way into which you know the DMT manages to bypass the natural uh, barrier of, of our stomachs and goes right into to the, the brain, uh, the blood uh, way, you know, the blood path. We really don't know how they managed to come up with, you know, uh, scientists will say, well, you know, it, it, it was either happenstance or they it took hundreds and hundreds of permutations in order to come up with the right combination. And, and the people in the Amazons say, no, you know, 
the the spirits taught, taught us, you know, how to told how us how to, to do it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The same way that maybe some non-corporeal entities taught someone like I don't know uh, Mendeleev or Kekulé or you know Niels Bohr or Albert Einstein, all these other formulas, all these other theories that finally managed to to give us a better insight into the framework of reality. And and McKenna was pretty instrumental on the ayahuasca, kind of bringing that into kind of like the mainstream. I mean, you hear about it a lot now. You hear about ayahuasca yeah. DMT, but back in when he was kind of coming up, that was not very well known. And he was kind of instrumental in introducing that. Yeah, he asked his brother because his brother was the one who actually did the, the, the legwork, you know, going into Peru, uh, con- um, collecting the samples, going back into the United States, making the, the, the lab tests, you know, finding the, the, the chemical components of these brews. Uh, I don't know if you guys have read Dennis McKenna's book, the Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, which is something of a, a memoir and a biography, you know, of uh, telling uh, his and Terence's early years because bef- before they became, the, you know, the icons of the counterculture that they are now. Hmm. No, I, have, well, have, I haven't read it. I... Uh, I really recommend you to get a copy of it. You know, you won't regret it. It is a great, it's a great book. It's a, it's, it's a, something of a, a love, uh, a love work. You know, the, it shows the love of, uh, of the younger brother who for a long time, you know, wasn't able to get into a, a good relationship with, with his brother. Let's be honest. Terrence, as it is portrayed in that book, he was something of a of a, a really uh, difficult person. You know, he was something of a douche. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> With all the people surrounding him, you know, especially people in his inner circle, but he managed to 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 come up out of his uh, you know his baser his baser personality and, and Dennis also, you know, managed to get into a good relationship with his brother and then, they, you know, they came up with all these wonderful books and there's these wonderful uh, theories that are still, they are becoming right now more popular right now in 2016 yeah. that they were maybe, you know, 20, 25 years ago thanks Thanks in part to to the preponderance of the internet and also to to podcasts like Psychedelic Salon, which is a wonderful uh, uh, re- re- report or, or place when where people can find you know stuff about Terence McKenna, including original recordings. Let me put Luke on the spot over here. You wake up, Luke. Yo. What do you think about some of this that we're talking about? Because um, you've, I mean, you've looked into all this stuff, like the DMT, and uh, yeah, I have. You studied a lot of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared of it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're scared of you it. You should be. Yeah, because um, you know, even just just me taking shrooms is is enough for me to, enough to to blow my mind, and yeah. not even that many shrooms either. 
Mm-hmm. You have to have a healthy respect for it, for sure. Right. Exactly. My, yeah. my brother has always been the mind explorer, you know, not me. I'm, I'm just, I like to dabble, I guess you would say. And, and he's, he's been the mind explorer that's all into how far can I push the limits kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Well, well, tell Ripple about your brother's experience with the isolation tank and taking yeah, the, please. Yeah. He, he was growing his own really strong strands of psilocybin. And, oh, uh, oh. and he, <laughs> He took 12 of them, uh, caps and stems one time, and uh, he, he had an isolation tank, and he, he took the shrooms, and he got into the isolation tank and just waited for the trip to set in, and and it, it took him, of course, it took him to a, another universe, <laughs> one, one where he, he was sitting in a, an octagon room, he said, and he was being judged by, uh, judged by different forms of himself from different times or phases of his life at sitting wow. in all all sides of the octagon and then after that was done he it was just uh uh his ego being being uh attacked left and right until he came down from the trip interesting fascinating <laughs> the fact that the the octagon was uh uh shape that was heavily used by the Templars when they built their towers and their castles. You know, maybe there's uh-huh. something to that. Well, I mean, there's that link with the Templars and the assassins. And of course the word assassin yeah. comes from hashish. Uh-huh. And so there's, there, there is that speculation that the Templars possibly use some kind of psychedelic or some kind of mind altering substance. Possibly, possibly, or maybe, well, I mean, obviously, uh, there is that route, you know, psychedelics, which let's be let's be honest, maybe not for everyone, you know. I, I think that there are many paths for many people, you know. Psychedelics is like the the maybe more um, the fast fast lane route out of it for, for people who may be more. Um, courageous or maybe you know willing to take the consequences of their actions but there there is also other other paths to 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 entertain in order to to gain this inner insight like i don't know meditation right you know uh dream quests and and you know uh, and all of that you know i mean well i just think the- because like yeah sorry just mm-hmm. because like uh psychedelics right now has uh, again, gain or attain more uh, popularity, which I think is a great thing. Doesn't mean it has to be like a a, a, pana- a panacea, you know, like the uh, the only route in, by which people can, you know, traverse or or experience other realms of experience. Yeah, it's definitely the most efficient route there. <laughs> Yeah, it'll get you there quick. Uh, what I was going to say was is that anything that causes an altered state of consciousness, because that's really what you're looking for, yeah. if you want to access these realms as an altered state. I mean, when we dream, that's an altered state, essentially. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, so that could be anything. I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, Mark Persinger's helmet that he put on the, the put on his students. Yeah. And they said that that turned a lot of EMF into their brains. And yep. that actually caused them to see gray figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, 
our brains are wired up differently, right? Like two years ago, I went to, to a place near the ancient ruins of Teotihuacan to be part of this ritual uh, with a, a witch old shaman, you know, involving the, you know, the consumption of peyote. You know, that it was a, a ritual that that lasted the whole night, you know, during the, the winter solstice. And after five glasses of mescaline, you know, there was nothing. Really? Nothing. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your personal experiences were some of these drugs. So so far, this was nothing. But yeah. I, I really think that my most psychedelic experiences have happened without psychedelics, you know. At some point when you are like between awake and sleep and you are lying on your bed and the prompt you kind of like see up into the dark ceiling and you see all these really interesting uh, uh, fractal like mandalas like uh, appearing before, before your eyes. And what is the result of that? Is that I wasn't taking any psychedelics when I when I went to bed, or maybe it's the result of of my brain, you know, kind of like uh, ex- exuding some kind of like uh, DMT mm-hmm. when you are in in some kind of like rest like state, you know that you know there have been mystical experiences that have been recorded in the religions of all the world. Some, some of those experiences have the, have the result of uh, ingesting some kind of like external catalyst, in this case, you know, psychedelic or something like that. Or some of those experiences are completely spontaneous. So which is more valid than the other? Hmm. Was something you wanted to add to that, Rob? Now, I was just going to ask if you'd ever read any of the um, Aldous Huxley, any of his works. Uh, not really, you know. I, I uh, read how Huxley had his uh, death experiences, how he was, you know, the, the dying of cancer, and he how instructed his uh, wife to to give him, you know, a really high dose of. LSD mm-hmm. and how does that's the way that he you know went to the other side and I really feel that's a really beautiful way to die you know I mean much more beautiful than dying afraid or or even worse surrounded right. by strangers and you know uh, all cut up in tubes in, in, yeah. in an antiseptic environment when I want to, I want to go in a place that's close to nature and you know, uh, surrounded by by people that love me and I, that, that I love, and you know, maybe with some kind of music, and you know, that that will be a far better way to try to transcend this level of existence. Yeah, for sure. I, I was, um, I've always liked his uh, his explanation of an altered state and, and what it actually is, is sort of, uh, we're, we're essentially our bodies where are an animal, you know, mm-hmm. we're bombarded by all these perceptions visually and auditorially yeah. and yeah. physically. And our brain only, um, 
reacts to the ones that it thinks are important to to survival you know to sure is this food or is this a potential mate or is this you know is this something that's going to further species or keep me alive but when you take psychedelics it turns it opens that valve wide up so that all those uh perceptions that normally would be filtered out are no longer filtered out and you're just bombarded by the reality of everything that is actually going on i love that and i love the fact that the that interpretation seems to have been validated by uh, modern scientific experimentation, how people who have been given uh, salocybin and then they are put into an MRI machine and you see into the scans of their brains and their brains, the the level of brain activity seems to decrease, which goes counter to what we will expect, you know, because we think that, well, when people are tripping, their brain must be like all fired up. No, it's actually the opposite. And that seems to go coincide with what you just said about Aldous Huxley and how apparently the brain is a filter by which we are constantly interpreting the world, the signals, the, the perceptions, you know, all these chemical, electrical, you know, uh, photonic rea- uh, reactions that come up, come up from our senses and how when we are into an altered state crea- uh, conditioned by psychedelics, then all those like barriers, all those like filtering mechanisms seems to like quiet down. And then we are receiving the universe in its raw form. And that probably is the reason why it is so difficult to try to explain uh, what we see during a psychedelic trip after we came, came out of it, which is... Interestingly enough, the, one of the reasons why Terence McKenna became such a, a popular figure because he was so good into explaining, you know, in a very elegant and in a very succinct way, the things that most people would say, oh man, it was like, oh, and then it was like, oh, and it was like, Yo, oh, you know? dude, man, oh, no way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, you're like like machine elves. I mean, what what a word. I mean, that's that's yeah, the, yeah, exactly. what a concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Red Pill. I want to talk to you a little bit because uh, I like whenever I have somebody on from a different country. As we said before, you know, you're in Mexico mm-hmm. uh, to talk a little bit about what's going on in that country. I like to keep myself kind of uh, kind of like um, you know educated about what's happening down there and of course you know the kind of the focus right now for me as far as latin america is concerned has been brazil Mm -hmm. that's for some personal reasons and then also venezuela and what's going on there but what's happening down in mexico lately down mexico way as they like to say damn damn if i know because (laughs) the reason that i say that is because uh the government is trying to downplay or try to keep um, many of the things that are happening right now, you know, keep it quiet, keeping it from seeping out yeah. know, to, to, the, to the outside world. I can tell you that two weeks ago, there was um, this, uh, for the last 
year, two years, there have been a lot of protests um, regards a great deal of issues. You know, one of those, the most important was uh, uh, education reform that came to pass in this uh, during this administration, and uh, a lot of uh, one particular. Uh, pr- uh, teachers' union had been very against it, you know, for reasons that I won't go uh, into right now because it's too complex and too to elaborate to 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 explain. But the thing is that this protest that these unions and these dissident groups have been putting up have become much more violent in the recent weeks to the point that you read the newspapers here in Mexico, you know, every day of the week and you kind of feel like the whole country is up in arms, that the whole country is up in burning. And it's kind of frightening. You you know, you really don't know what is going to happen uh, in the next years. We know that because of the Brexit and because of also the uncertainty that is a result of the American election, which definitely plays a big role and a big influence in the uh, in Mexican affairs because of our close proximity. Sure, we know that the next months to come are be- are going to be even more difficult, and I really don't know what is going to happen. You know, I mean. If it is a revolution, maybe it's a revolution of low intensity, you know, it's not like in the 1910s and the 1920s, you know, when the whole country was up in arms. But yeah. it really feels like the, the state, the government has lost its grip on, on many areas of the republic, you know, and, 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 and has left many good, hard-working citizens in a terrible state of uncertainty because they don't know, you know, they, they can't uh, resort to the aid of, of, of the police or, or the, the aid of, of, of the army, you know, and, and even the army and the police have, uh, as awful as it is to say, you know, it's also... We are so also afraid of them because you know there there's been so many stories in which the the police and the the army has be, have perpetrated atrocities you know have tortured people have killed innocent people you know in their in their attempts to try to fight the cult- the cartels this stupid you know war. On the on the war on the drug cartel that was started in the administration of President Felipe Calderón, uh, in order to try to assuage or try to please, you know, the the Washington administration, as has to be said, and it really is. It's a level of uncertainty and a, a level of fear that. I truly believe it rever- it ripples down to many other, probably the rest of the world. You know, I mean, I feel that right now in the whole world, the whole world, there is a sense of fear 
for what's going to happen next. We, it's, it's so sad to see how, you know, in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, we have lost all sense of uh, hope for the future. You know, with, the future is now something to be feared of instead of something to look up yeah. for. You know, we used to think that in the future we will conquer, you know, other planets that we will be able to, to unite the whole, the rest of the nations into a single planet and, and, and explore new frontiers like, I don't know, the bottom of the ocean, create new forms of technology, create new forms of, of communications. But now if you look into, to, sci-fi movies currently most of the most uh, uh, popular movies are about dystopias instead yeah. of utopias you know it's, that, right. it's how the the society is going is going to break down instead of how it's going to succeed our current state of uh, of mm, childhood you know instead of uh, uh, immature uh, evolution and I don't know if we will be able to traverse it back. You know, some some part of me thinks that we are just witnessing the last straws of this civilization, and, and you know that our descendants are going to have to pick up the pieces and start all over again. Well, so many civilizations collapse, and they have in the past. Yeah, civilizations grow too big at to a certain point. If they can't expand outward, then then they collapse on yeah. themselves. I mean, you know, I mean, look at, I mean, a good case in point would be the Maya, right? Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what happened with them. They yeah, reached a certain yeah. point and and they collapsed. You know, as uh, is there a lot of fear that Trump is going to get elected in Mexico? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think that, you know. Five months ago, people still thought it was a joke. <laughs> we thought it was a yes. joke five months ago. <laughs> exactly. Everybody thought five months ago it was a joke. Five yeah. months ago, you know, probably people in the UK thought that, you know, Brexit would never going to happen. Even people who supported Brexit probably thought that wasn't going to happen, but it did. So, you know, all, all bets are off by now. All, they're so many people who are fed up fed up with with their current situation that they just want to change even if it's for the worse you know it's, it's almost like in the movie the dark knight you know some people yeah. want to see the whole the world burn i feel it's the same way that that that's happening right now with people supporting the trump campaign and people supporting brexit people supporting you know, uh, national insularity at the fear of these new trends of people who are moving out of their of their original, you know, uh, homes for many reasons. And you know, the the war in Syria is just one. And let's call this that the war in Syria was partly caused by global climate change. You know, don't pe many people don't realize that, but 
there's going to be more and more uh, human conflicts that is the result of our world uh, changing, you know, because of whatever reason, you know, and some people say anthropogenic reasons only. Uh, some people say that they have, there's many other uh, aspects into consideration, but yeah, I think there's no cause, doubt that there's a, that there's change happening. Change I mean, is just, happening yeah. and, it's kept, and change is happening more fast than they used to be. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. Our parents used to know that, you know, if they, I don't know, maybe if they had the chance to go to college and go and study something, then they will be like set of set for life if they have managed to secure a good job, you know, that they will work there for 30, 40 years and then get a retire, get a good pension, and they'll live the rest of their, you know, senior years in security. But those are like pipe dreams for the younger generations. I know I'm 42 years old. I know I'm never going to be able to retire. You know, I mean, no way. And people younger than me, no way. They're going to have to work for the rest of their lives. And maybe they won't even have the benefits, the basics, the basis of benefits that the older generations enjoyed. And, and the worst thing is that the older generations that are making decisions for the younger the generations that are, are for their detriment, like, for example, Brexit, you know what I mean? The, the yeah, people there who seems to be a real generational the, gap there. The, the European Union were the older <laughs> guys, you know, the people in their 40s and the 50s and the 60s yeah. who are afraid that the, the Muslims and the people who are from other, other countries are starting to, like, you know, creep out and, you know, start to populate their neighbors and say, no, 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 we, we don't want any of that. And the younger generation didn't have a say into that. You know, people who are 15 years old, 14 years old, who didn't manage to vote in the referendum, they didn't have a stake on that. And they are the ones who have to, going to have to leave the consequences of that decision. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, that is a good point there for real. It seems to me like we've reached, we reached a point, we reached a high point and then we're kind of going through a slow collapse. And either on that s- happy note, <laughs> no, well, uh, you know, maybe either a slow collapse or a change for something so different, we don't really, we are not even able to see it yet. I yeah. remember when I read uh, Jurassic Park in the 1990s, when Ian Malcolm was uh, talking about a change that ha- need to happen into society. And, you know, one of the characters said, what kind of change? And Ian Malcolm replies, you know, a change is like death. You know, you really don't know what's on the other side until you, you know, cross that threshold. Maybe that's what's happening right now. You, We know that there's something happening. We know that that change is inevitable. We really don't know what's on the other side and we'll just have to figure it out after we cover the threshold. But maybe it's for the better. Maybe it's the fact that this materialist-based society comes to an end. Maybe it's not that bad, you know? Maybe, I mean, yeah. 
If you think about, oh, well, oh my God, I'm not going to have Netflix in the future. I'm not going to have, <laughs> you know, like, I don't that know. It would be a yeah, disaster. Like, like a Hummer. And <laughs> maybe 50 years from now, you'll say, Jesus Christ, you know, people were clinging their lives into having these stupid things, you know, that they were slaving themselves for in order to have. I think Luke would be happy if he just has beer. <laughs> yeah, I require a beer, a guitar, a skateboard, and porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, Red Phil, it has been well, a pleasure, man. Uh, yeah, um, likewise, man. This is uh, this has been a blast. You know, hope you guys get to invite me again. Absolutely, oh, yeah, for sure. Tell tell everybody uh, where people can find you, your websites, and. Uh, uh, some of like the the work that you've done. I mean, you're you do illustrate illustration. You've just did a the uh, cover of a book for Greg Bishop, as I understand. Yeah, uh, Greg uh, is a friend of mine. He asked me to to help him out with his book, the Feist language. At first, I started to illustrate each chapter, but then it progressed into designing the whole cover, which was. A huge delight and a huge honor, I must say, because I feel this is a, a really important book. I'm really honored and I'm really excited to be a part of it. As for websites, well, you know, I don't really still have a, a proper website for myself. I'm, I'm, I'm still involved with the Daily Grail, www.dailygrail.com. I still very occasionally uh, write for Mysterious Universe, which is an absolutely great website, you know, a great uh, uh, repository of cool articles and also a kick-ass podcast. You know, Ben and Aaron are are really at the top of the game. And unfortunately, my present circumstances have prevented me for for participating participating more oftenly, hoping that that can be remedied in the future. And, well, also, you know, I get, like you said uh, earlier, Adam, uh, I also, I'm involved with uh, Where Did the Road Go? You know, Soraya Mm -hmm. invites me to his... uh, Some great discussions. I love them. Yeah, and I love to, 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 you know jam with those guys you know and exchange ideas and kind of like what we had uh, in, uh during this evening and as, aside from that oh well oh, i'm also a semi-regular guest on, on the podcast the grimerica show you know that hosted by my friends darren and graham you know the the the, the logo of of the the of that podcast you know the the grass smoking moa it's also <laughs> was a design of mine. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, the, the, I'm not as involved into the 4chan realm as I used to and as I wanted to, but I still very much want to have my my foot firmly into 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 this uh, line of the. I don't know into this line of the uh, the shore. So if people want to reach me, I think they they will be able to to manage it. And I'm I'm looking forward you know, to having you know good discussions with uh, like-minded people and even people who don't 
happen to agree with me, but they like to, to engage in, in meaningful discussions in a civil manner. Absolutely, as we do here. We, we definitely do. Well, uh, guys, if there's anything else you wanted to add, if any questions you wanted to say? Or... All right. Well, we will close it out, guys. And uh, Red Pill, stay on the line with us, and we sure. will be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Well, I think the gods are very angry outside because now we got some thunder and lightning. I don't know if anybody can hear that. Is that is that going is that is that pick up on the uh, I on the get, sound there? Rob? If we get a good good bit of loud thunder, it might. Yeah. Well, what did you think about that uh, interview with the Red Pill? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It's nice to finally talk to somebody who I've read the same books. As yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he seems very knowledgeable. From you know, he's pretty humble about it. Like you know. So that he didn't know a lot, but he did seem to know a lot about the, about the subject. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we were going to try to get a guy on that, uh, I guess that kind of like plans fell through to, to get him in here with us. But uh, you had like on the leisure hour, you had this guy on that started just talking about some of these experiences. Yeah, especially like the, um, and it came out of nowhere too, the whole, uh, when you're deep in a mushroom trip and suddenly you feel like you're surrounded by some sort of beings. And it's weird the way he transitioned into. He's like, and they're just always there. I don't know what they are, but they're always there. <laughs> Did he say like the little gray guys? Yeah, something Isn't like that. that what is, he said? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then, uh, yeah, I was listening to that show, and I was like, was, it turned into like that. Turned into kind of like a conspiracy normal without 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 conspiracy normal, you know? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Luke, well, get your thoughts on on uh, Red Pill Junkie. I would have taken the blue pill. You would have taken the blue pill and just <laughs> no, left the denial. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I I definitely didn't know anything about uh, Demarco. I don't know anything about Don Juan either. So Demarco, isn't that what he said? Carlos <laughs> Castaneda. Castaneda. There you go. Don, Don Juan. Don Juan and Demarco and Castaneda. I don't know anything about. I just I just heard their names before. That's all. I don't know. He's just some to me. He was just some Hunter S. Thompson from Mexico. <laughs> That's all I know. Well, I mean, talking about this the, about the psilocybin and and like those experiences and you know that uh, yeah, they're very interesting, man. Both both definitely pioneers in the whole um you know, proponents of this psychedelic experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's definitely something to that with as far as linking that with alien contact and the abduction experience. I, I mean, I, I think the more and more that I look at these things, the more and more you can tell that what you're dealing with is an altered state of consciousness. As right. we've well, said many times on the show. You view all of these things as more of a spiritual yeah. experience to begin with. So right. I mean, that's a pretty short leap there. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Brexit 
And for anybody who doesn't know what that means, that's <laughs> Great Britain exiting the European Union. I just learned that. Uh, I I did earlier today. Yeah, yeah. You know, we touched on it a little bit with Red Pill. Um, you know, a few days ago, back on Thursday, recording this on June 26th, uh, the UK voted to leave the European Union. And it was a pretty interesting vote. Um, it pretty much went down, I think, to like 52% voted to leave and 48% voted to stay. And it was close. Yeah. Very close. I've heard the schism between Scotland and yeah. England is pretty severe. Yeah. And there's a schism within England itself, too, because you have, well, if you look at the map, and for some reason, like, CNN decided to show this in red and blue as if we don't get that enough in this country. <laughs> Something we can identify with. Right, right. <laughs> um, all of England was red except for the city of London and some of the surrounding suburbs. That was blue, which meant to remain in the European Union. Uh, Wales was also red, which meant to uh, leave. And Scotland and Northern Ireland, well, that's where it got interesting. Because Scotland pretty much unanimously said, we don't want to leave the European Union. And just because I'm, I'm really bad with geopolitics, what is the benefit or the the downside of being in the union. Yeah, really. I mean, what, what, what prompted uh, them well, to okay, leave in okay, the first well, place? This, this is what, this is okay. <laughs> I, I think for the people that wanted to leave, it was a mixture of the immigration and the fact that Brit people in Britain, natives of the country were losing their jobs to those to those people those immigrants right well because I, and i get that but being in the union means that you've got someone outside of your country calling shots like that and that's that, another part of it okay. that's another part of it is to say that we we don't want to be we don't want to we want our national sovereignty and we don't want to be beholden to this entity that's the european parliament which yeah i don't blame them right and the european parliament has gradually gained more and more power over the years. So there's been a, there has been a concern in the UK about that and whether the UK should be a part of the European union or go off on its own. Now, people that want to stay, they want to still have the benefits, which the benefits are in economic integration where you don't have to pay tariffs where you can share an industry uh, with other countries uh, where also like, for example, there's the fit, the people, uh, the fishermen that don't have to compete with other countries for fishing rights. Cause everybody's in the same pool, so to speak. Okay. So that's a part of, that's a part of the, the, the impetus to remain in the European union. Um, one of the interesting things is is that the UK has always had a rather contentious relationship with the European Union. It's always had a different relationship. It didn't join until 1973, 
At that time, it was the European Economic Community, which started in 1957, which was only just a few states of the Western of Western Europe. UK did not join until 1973. All right. Uh, when they went over to the Euro in 1999, I believe, the UK did not sign off on the Euro. They kept the pound. Right. Okay. Still have it. They never, they never integrated their currency. The UK also is not a part of the Schengen Agreement, which is this agreement between all the European countries except for the UK and Ireland that people can, and there's also four other countries in Europe that agree to it as well, that you can move across the borders of those countries. So it's just like us going from Tennessee to Georgia. We can, you know, well, it's, we, like, it's not an independent, you know, it's it's just like a state. So you can go from Germany to Austria without any border controls, anything like that. UK is not a part of that. Gotcha. Never has been. They have a special, they're not required to be. They have a special opt out on it. So there's always been a rather complicated relationship between the U- UK, a special relationship also between the UK and the European Union. It's always been there. It's always been that way. Uh, And I think that's something that's not really coming out in the media right now. And the media is saying this is all just a big disaster. It's a big disaster for the European Union. But the way it's turning out, it could be a disaster for the UK because of Scotland. Scotland decides, Scotland two years ago, made a vote to leave the UK. They were allowed to have that vote. Now it got voted down, but the Scots are already talking about doing it again. And the Northern Ireland of, of, of leaving the UK and staying in the European (laughs) union as their own country. And the Northern Ireland, Northern Irish are talking, literally talking now about uniting Ireland. This is the things that's going on right now. So it's possible through this vote, the UK could possibly fall apart. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. Now, on the last show that we did, I had when I had John on, Stephen, you know, John gave some, you know, he one of the things that he said about what is good for the U- United Kingdom is that the United Kingdom has the Commonwealth, which is also an economic uh, where countries, it's all the the most of the former countries of the British Empire, most of them share. They most, I think they, they still have tariffs, but they share free trade. They have, mm-hmm. they have some economic agreements. So the UK has, and that includes countries like Canada, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, these are kind of powerhouse countries. Longstanding and, relationships, if nothing else. Right, exactly. So the United Kingdom has always had an independence of the European Union. It's never been an integral part. Now, if Germany decided they wanted to leave the European Union, the whole thing would just fall apart because Germany is really what's making the European Union possible with its economic power. Who, who leads the European Union and how are they elected? Because I well, heard you, that there was some contention as far as that goes as well. Yeah, you have the European Parliament. As I understand it, each country gets together and elects members of the European Parliament to the European Parliament. I don't know. Is that is it every two years, probably something like that? Okay, so it so it's not like you don't have representation. 
Yeah, you have representation. But there's but there's been other contentious issues. I mean, France uh, a few years ago, I think in 2008 or 2009, they voted down the European Constitution. That was in France. And France, I don't think, is thinking of leaving the European Union like the United Kingdom is has done. But you know, there's there are certain concerns. There are countries that don't want to lose their identity. They don't want to lose their sovereignty within this greater entity that is the European Union. Right. Well, that's the natural course of. Yeah. I mean, I'm go- I'm glad that they're trying to keep that in check and keeping an eye on that because that that's that's where it's going to want to go naturally anyway. Well, it seems like it's it seems like it's starting to reverse. I mean, I remember I remember in the 1980s and the 90s. There was this big thing among the prophecy community, okay? That the that they watched the European Union closely because all these countries getting together that meant that we were going to get into these big blocks. There, you know, there were eventually North American Union. You've heard right, that yeah. bandied about Mer- Mexico, United States, Canada coming together. And got all these big blocks. Eventually, we were going to come into this one big world, and that's the world the Antichrist was going to control. And that, you know, set off the Book of Revelations and all that stuff. Okay, this was this was the big bugaboo was the European Union back at that time period, and now it seems like. That's kind of falling apart in a way when you have the UK granted their special relationship, but they still are a major part. They still are a major part of it. And the European Union has had a lot of problems. They've had the the debt with Greece. They've had this refugee crisis, which has in some ways reversed the Schengen agreement, the open borders. Because you know places like like Hungary have closed their borders, so you know this is uh you're right. It's interesting times we're living in. So it's either going to go back to a it's going to go back to a full uh, unity, or we're gonna or people are just going to divide into their separate groups again. And like guys like Trump, I mean. They say they're saying Trump loved it that that this happened, and uh, I think some people are out there. That, there are some people out there that are worried to say that you know they didn't expect that Britain would actually leave. That it might be close, but they'd actually would remain. And now they're saying like, well, like I heard Bill Maher say today, like you know, could this happen with Trump? People going to vote him in? because they're tired of the old system and that's what's going on in Britain. So this could reflect back on us too. Oh, that's absolutely why he is where he is. I think. Yep. And that's why Bernie Sanders got as far as he did too. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Hillary is where she is. I can't explain that one. Yeah. That, that's totally Illuminati, man. Yeah. It's gotta no. be it's darker just, forces than we know of. It's just proof that none of our votes matter. Because I don't, because I don't know anyone that even supports her. Yeah, I've only heard like one reference on TV one time of some celebrity that supports her or something like that. Do well, you know anybody uh, you personally that even likes her? No, no. I don't. I, I actually no. do. My my mom and dad for some God knows why reason. <laughs> but it, but it's like but anybody else besides them, I I don't know. I don't know anybody that actually says you know Hillary Clinton would be a good president. 
Exactly. Well, it's not like she got. It's not like she got the votes to get where she is. She got handed states after state after state. Mm-hmm. Which which is fraud. Well, which which is a no. total fraud. Oh, that's just the way the the Democratic side of it works. Yeah. Well, they stacked the deck anyway. The Democrats stacked the deck, which I'm sure is what oh, the yeah. Republicans with the superdelegates, which I'm sure is what the Republicans wish they had. Oh yeah. Because if they had had that deck stacked against for like say Jeb Bush, we wouldn't have Trump right now. He would not be mm-hmm. the presumptive nominee. And uh it's going to bear watching, man. Come July, I think uh I think that's when the Republican convention is in Cleveland. It's going to be bear watching to see what happens there. So, yeah, I mean I I feel like he's actually like at first, he he was just trying to usher in Hillary because they're buddies or whatever. But now, now I'm thinking that he's actually. I still feel like that. <laughs> well, now I'm actually thinking that he's considering it. He's like, well, you know, I actually could be president. Yeah, well, I think that yeah. was the plan at first, but then I think at some point he was just like, you know, right. what? look how riled up I got everybody. This yeah, ex- cool. exactly. He's right. like, I got a lot of support right now. I could actually do this. I've had people tell me, like I've said that, like you know, Trump is Trump. Knows Hillary. He's been tight with the Clintons. He was a Democrat until 2012. Um, he's, uh, he's not gonna, he's just doing it so she, to, to look as stupid as possible and say as, as many inflammatory things as possible so that she'll win. <laughs> and people look at me like, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. And my mind like, says, well, that's could it have what his intention to be, but it could also backfire. It could backfire big time on her. Okay. So, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna bear watching. Well, I I still President Trump, <laughs> get ready. I, I actually believe saying. everyone hates Hillary more than Trump. Anyway, <laughs> that's yeah. the general consensus as far as the people I know. Well, I'll say this. Yeah, I know exactly. Well, we know Tennessee's gonna go for Trump. I mean, we're in Trump country down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Trump. You know, but it's like I will be voting for third party. <clears throat> Me too. I will be voting third party. Most likely, Gary Johnson again. Like I did in 2012, Libertarian Party. That's where it's at for me. So I I don't care. I mean, personally, people can tell me I'm throwing my vote all they want. You know, they're throwing their vote away, too, as far as I'm concerned. I'm keeping the blood off my hands. That's what I'm doing. Yep. You mean you can... You can write someone else's name? You can do that? I I thought it was just between the three. Uh, I mean, you got the wrong voice for that. Usually it's like somebody's just like, what do you mean you can do that? (laughs) What are you trying to do? You're trying to destroy our democracy? You can vote for someone else and who's on TV? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We've all known those people. But anyway, uh, I think we've gone way over. So another two and a half hour marathon. (laughs) <laughs> but uh well the truckers enjoy it apparently they, they do that's the they feedback do. i got <laughs> awesome Dude, when i drove to sorry not to interrupt your outro there but no problem when i drove to uh delaware last week and back that's all i did was listen to podcast after podcast yep. and i've never done that before i was listening to music usually on road trips but it went by so much quicker and smoother and it was way more enjoyable especially yep. as i was by myself i felt like i was like hanging out with people that's, I mean, that's what got me into listening to podcasts because like, you know, I, at a certain time, like, I mean, I love listening to music, but you get, you, you can get tired of it. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. I started listening to talk radio and talk radio just seemed to be all the same stuff. And I was like, I need something more, you know? And so when the I, first the iPod and then the iPhone came along, came around, it was like, you know, you started down, I started downloading these shows 
and would listen to him in the car. And that's, you know, that's how I got into it. It's awesome because to, to hear an average Joe's talking to each other is like so much better than hearing some like right. NPR, like political friggin' talking head <laughs> spit off the same like regurgitated crap over Where they're and over talking again. like this over and over again. What do you think about the mating habits? Uh, how does that, uh, <laughs> well, does, well, how does they, that get into They the, have to uh, talk liberal politics for a while and then, and then they'll, then, then they'll shift into something like helicopter safety. Yeah, helicopter, <laughs> helicopter safety and knitting. Does it work together? <laughs> Find out after the break. <laughs> and here's here's some more here's some more um, here's some more uh, the uh, songs of the loon. There's a, a Patton Oswalt had a good uh, he had a good like bit on his comedy. He, he said that uh, like the liberal media like NPR they always had like the uh, the song of the loon or some like soft music or something <laughs> to put you to sleep. And then like the really conservative like talk ultra right ring talk radio was all like ACDC and Led Zeppelin and <laughs> oh, Hendrix, God. you know, you know that kind of music, you Main, know? <laughs> mainstream roll my music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I always loved uh, Alex Jones with the Imperial March. That one I was thought was a, was appropriate. So. <laughs> All right, guys. We will. Uh, we, we, we maybe we need some really intense music. Like maybe you hook us up with that. Some like Aphex Twin, just like yeah. type intense music for it's us. Coming, next dude. Time. Awesome, man. All right, guys. I want to thank everybody for listening. We will be back in a couple of weeks talking about tarot with our good friend Heather. And join us next time on Conspiranormal. Say something like Con Lavos.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.